Buckle up, it's time for That's How I Roll with Jeremiah Isley, a podcast about the games we play and the lives we live. That's How I Roll is presented by Theology of Games. Visit theologyofgames.com for the latest in tabletop gaming, news, reviews, and interviews. And now, here's Jeremiah. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 44 of That's How I Roll. I'm Jeremiah Isley. I am your host today and always and forever and never ever let yourself forget that. Anyway, uh, we are here tonight. It's actually today, this morning. I don't know. It's past midnight and it's super late and I'm recording this episode of the podcast about the games we play and the lives we live. And it's going to be a fun one. So let's take a look at today's roadmap. We're going to stop by and take a look at what's good in the neighborhood. Got some things I'm going to just tease you about in that segment real quick. I'm also going to do a drive-by review of a game called Aura, which was sent to me from Breaking Games. We will also swing by the corner of thought and conversation, and I'm going to ask you two legitimate questions. One about games, one about life. What's on the table and what's around the table. After that, we are going to take a quick stop and spin around the feedback loop, and then we'll wrap this up. It's time to get this thing started. Let's go. So what is good? What's happening? What is going on? (sighs) All right. So I have to tell you, there are two actually really, really big things going on sort of in my life and in my professional life. And it's killing me because I can't really tell you much about anything at this point. But just know, you may not know this or not, but I don't just podcast as a hobby here with that's how I roll and with the theology of games podcast, but I also do it sort of professionally. I've kind of, as I've struck out into the freelance market, I've started doing production work for other podcasts. And so the huge news kind of has something to go along with that line of work that I'm involved in. So stay tuned for more information. I should be able to share more in the next episode or two. I know, I'm just totally, totally just teasing you here. But anyway, other than that, the battle with the pool is still going on and still going strong. We didn't make it. We had uh, Cooper's second grade end of year picnic thing at our house. It was a splendid time. We had a lot of fun but we did not have the pool open. We're having a birthday party for our oldest, Mr. Xavier. You've heard those guys on the show before if you go back a few episodes. We're hoping, hoping that it'll be ready for the birthday party this weekend, but I'm still not convinced. I'm not sure it's gonna happen. I'm really, really hoping. Also this week, amidst the craziness of everything that's kind of exploding in the background, I had the opportunity to sort of break in the side porch. We have this like three season enclosed porch on the side of our new house. And of course we have a table out there. And of course it fits a nice table topper that my father-in-law made. And of course we have now played games on it. So I got to play some world championship 
Russian Roulette, which is a fantastic bluffing party social kind of game from Tuesday Night Games. And you'll actually see my name in the credits as one of the playtesters. Got to help out with that one with Alan and the guys at Tuesday Night Games. Lots and lots of fun. We also played some Sagrada, which you can listen to my review of that a few episodes back, along with our written review of it on TheologyOfGames.com. And we also played Aura, and that's today's drive-by review. Whoa! Hey, everyone, look! It's time for another drive-by review. Aura is a card game that is designed by Michael Orion, and it's published by Breaking Games. Box says that it plays in about 30 minutes for two to four players, eight and up. And I would say that is all fairly accurate information. I haven't had a chance to play this one with my kids yet, but I think that they would catch on pretty well, and I think that they would enjoy it. I, I'll just give you a little spoiler here. I enjoyed this game. It's a fun little card game. You will hear people compare it because of some of the cards in it. Things like Uno and some of like those older staple kind of games that you find at Kmart and Toys R Us and just about any store. But there's some really clever strategy to this one. So every player is going to get a single deck that they have. And your deck is actually like your life points. That's that's how you score points in the game is by having the most cards in your deck and, and hanging on to them throughout the game. There's five different colors and the color is both on the front and the back of the cards. So the only way you can really differentiate the different decks is by the design on the back. A turn goes like this. You're gonna have up to eight cards in your hand and the active player is gonna play cards down. These cards either have to match by color or they have to be all different colors. And then each of the cards has a a value from one to eight or some special abilities that we'll talk about in a little bit. So the active player decides how many cards he or she would like to play down on the table, face down, only showing the color on the back of the cards. Then the other players take turns playing cards kind of in, in a row or a column with those cards that are played, trying to block those cards. So they can play a matching color there, but there are also colors that trump other colors. So there's a little bit, a little, you can tell already, there's some things to kind of keep track of here. And really, once you get eh, two or three turns in, everybody's kind of become the active player once or twice. You're really going to get this game and it's really going to start clicking for you. But let's go on. Other players are trying to block the cards that you put down as the active player. If they play a card of the same color in in that same column that you played that has a higher value, they have blocked that card. If they don't block a card, so say you play three or four cards down, and they can only block two cards. Well, the amount of cards that they didn't block is how many cards they have to discard. Now those cards can be cards that they played down, cards from their hand, or cards from the top of the deck. If they don't have to discard cards, the cards that they played go underneath the deck. And there's a special uh, aura card. It's a, 
like a logo card that goes on the bottom of your deck. And that tells you when that comes up that you've gone through your deck once. Once you've gone through your deck twice, that triggers the end game. And whoever has the most cards in their deck and in their hand wins the game. So the game is all about playing down cards that are unblockable because that makes your opponents, the other players, have to discard more cards. There's some other clever things you can do. Like you can, if you play different colors and you play matching numbers, then they have to successfully block all of those cards or none at all because it they they kind of tie themselves together as as this chain and if you don't block all of them then they all count as unblocked and there's also a few special cards in there like a wild and a reverse and reverse actually makes cards that would be blocked unblocked and cards that are unblocked as blocked so there's there's some strategy that goes into that of what you think they might be playing down like if they're playing low stuff or if you think the people that are also playing trying to block the active player are playing some really high cards you can put that reverse card down and all those cards become unblocked and they end up having to discard after playing their really heavy hitting cards so a little bit of cat and mouse somewhat of take that it is, it is very hard to kind of judge what is happening and who's playing what and what they might be trying to play strategy-wise. But other than that, um, once you kind of get that rhythm of the play and how cards are blocked and how they aren't blocked and things like that, we kind of went to the rulebook a, a moderate amount towards the beginning of the game. And then once we kind of caught on, like I said, about two or so turns into it, we really caught on and had a, a, a good amount of fun with this one. So what are my thoughts? I think it's a fun game. I think it's pretty lightweight. There's a few squirrely rules in there that will have you kind of digging back into the rule book from time to time. But once you've got the grasp of it, I could pick this game up and play it right away. It would be that 30 minute kind of filler type game that the box says it is. The the design of the game is is very graphic it's very stylized it's very simplistic the cards don't really have much of anything on them there's just a lot of negative space in the design and it's very sleek looking box design i will say when you open the box it's cool there's just four decks stuck in this insert but when you open the decks you realize they aren't sorted per player they're just kind of thrown in those boxes i'm sure that saves some money on manufacturing but it was like oh so we have to open all four of these and get them all out and it would have been cool if it was player one player two player three just kind of all ready in the box you open it up you shuffle your cards and you go but now they are like we've already sorted them they're all in their own separate boxes and we're good to go all in all it's a lightweight filler it's pretty accessible i i could definitely bring this out with family and friends and casual gamers there's a lot of kind of strategic decision making on when to play cards and try to block cards or just say hey you know what? i'm just not even gonna block anything because I don't want to, I just, uh, the cards that I have aren't worth work trying to work with anyway. Um, there's a neat little twist where if you end up playing a whole bunch of cards during one turn, 
you can only draw up to five cards at one time. So you may not get back up to your maximum of eight cards. So that kind of comes into play of, eh, maybe I won't play so many this turn so I, I can get better cards into my hand. So like I said, it's mechanically not super difficult. Once you chase down a couple squirrely rules, you'll be really rocking and rolling with this one. And I, I liked it. I had a, a fine time with it and we really enjoyed it. It was something we actually played towards the end of the night when we played it. And it, it was just a nice, easy finish to a game night. So that is Aura from Breaking Games. Welcome to the corner of thought and conversation. Which way will you turn? Why not hang a right and join in on the conversation by tweeting at Theology of Games or sending an email to theologyofgames at gmail.com. All right, here we are with two more legitimate questions here at the corner of Thought and Conversation. I want to thank the folks who continue to write in or at least just tweet answers to me to the questions. Super great. Please join in the conversation as I bring up these topics because I would love to hear everyone's answers. Everyone, everyone in the entire world, I would like to hear all of their answers to these two questions. So as you know, I've been asking two questions, two legitimate questions. One, about the games we play. Two, about the lives we live. Sort of what's on the table and what's around the table. So the first question is about the games we play. What are some of your favorite legacy games and this has become more of a trend in the field more of a trend in the hobby are these sort of legacy games like i've i'm staring at shadow run crossfire which is a deck builder but it's also legacy you have these character sheets and as you level up you can put stickers on them and they give you better abilities and it's very very cool and then, of course, there's the um, the new expansion for Netrunner. That's a legacy game. And, of course, Pandemic Legacy was wildly popular and still is. And there's I guess there's more seasons coming for that. So what are some of your favorite legacy games? My boys and I really love sort of the campaign feel of Mice and Mystics. I've enjoyed the Shadowrun Crossfire game. And I honestly, I haven't had a chance to get a hold of a copy of Pandemic Legacy and get through that with, with a few friends. I'd like to do that. Um, I think these games kind of really got their roots in RPGs with Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, Shadowrun and all the other RPGs that are out there, Pathfinder and Star Wars, because it has that my character levels up, my character goes through all these adventures with me, and people really kind of gravitate towards those types of experiences where it's more of playing a story or uh, playing, you know, through an adventure. Um, so what are some of your favorite legacy games? Maybe it's, an, it's an, a role-playing game, maybe it's D&D, maybe something like that. I'd love to hear what is really kind of hitting that sweet spot for you in the in the legacy realm of board gaming. So along the same lines, I wanted to throw out the question for you about life, about what goes on around the table.
what does commitment require? We are here at Theology of Games, we are nearing five years of being a gaming blog and a website. So think about that. July 1 of 2012 was our first year, was our first day when we kicked off. And since then, we have gone through, both Scott Firestone and myself, have gone through a lot of life. Job changes, job losses, church changes, family changes. Scott has moved in the time that we've done Theology of Games. I've moved and sold a house and and so forth during this last year. So there's commitment involved in Theology of Games. My wife and I, we just celebrated our 15-year anniversary a few weeks ago in the middle of May. So commitment is... Um, is a big, I, to me anyway, commitment's a big deal. I think some people are afraid of it or for whatever reason. Um, you hear that a lot about, you know, guys are afraid of commitment. But to me, I, I guess if there's, if I'm nothing else, I'm loyal. And I like to, I like to think that getting into a commitment and really kind of putting your stake in somewhere and saying, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to give it my all good or bad. You know, like if it's, if things are hard, I'm still going to be committed to it. That's I'm signing up for the long haul. And so the question that I posed is, you know, what does commitment take? What does it require? And I, I thought about it a little bit and I think I came up with some words to kind of describe what I think it, it takes to be committed. And the first one I said I, I came up with is humility. I think you have to be humble. Um, I think you have to be, you know, there's nothing wrong with being confident or being um, proud in certain ways. Pride is a, a sticky subject, but you have to be humble to be committed. You have to have the opinion that I'm I'm being part of something that's bigger than myself. My marriage to my wife is bigger than just me. Obviously, my wife and I are, have entered into that together. Theology of games is something that's bigger than me. Now, both of those things are obviously big parts of my life, and I've committed to them, and I contribute in big ways to them, but they're bigger than me. It's not just me. So it takes some humility to realize that. I also think commitment takes um, generosity. I think you have to be very generous in giving of your time, of your resources, of your attention, of your affection, of your emotion, of your heart. You have to be generous with all those things in order to remain committed to something for any period of time, especially when times get tough. You also, it requires energy and hard work. Obviously, I mean, if you've been any sort of commitment to a a job, a marriage, whatever it is, it's not always easy. It takes energy. It takes work. It takes just kind of rolling your sleeves up to really attack that, whatever it is, and just take it day to day. And then the last thing I said about what commitment requires is I think it requires an undying sense of fun and adventure. If you're committed to something and it is not bringing any kind of joy to your life, It is not bringing any sense of adventure of something new around the the next corner. Man, what are you doing? (laughs) And maybe that is why people, you know, uncommit or, or step away from things is because 
once the newness and the shininess kind of wears off, they there's no sense of fun and adventure that they want to put into that, that energy that I spoke of earlier, that like it's going to take work, but you got to you got to find the fun in it. And I think that's one thing Sarah, my wife and I have always strived to to achieve is just going on adventures, having that sense of adventure, having fun. Like, you know, sometimes adventures aren't fun. Sometimes adventures are scary. Like the the whole case of us moving last year, it was scary. It was hard work. It was a lot of just a lot of everything, but it was worth it. And the commitment that we made together to do it was so, so worth it. And we are reaping those benefits and we are enjoying it. And we are so blessed by it, but it takes that sense of adventure. It takes that sense of fun to say, you know what? This is the craziest thing ever. And we may look back and go, this was a mistake or we could have done something better, but this is crazy and we know it. Let's do it. Let's jump in and let's, let's make this happen. And I'm so grateful for my wife because she is so adventurous in those ways. And even with the blog, you know, kind of bringing this back around to the podcast, to Theology of Games, we're always, I'm always throwing ideas at Scott. And sometimes we run with them and sometimes we don't. But um, we, we like to have fun. This is a fun thing for us to do. So lay it on me. What do you got for these, these questions? Let's talk about legacy games and let's talk about commitment. Whoa, super heavy stuff. I love it. It's time for the feedback loop. Get in on the conversation by tweeting the show at theology of games or emailing theology of games at gmail.com. Okay, so the feedback loop is back again, and I love that too. Here we go. Ben wrote in and uh, answered the two questions, and he's had a couple of comments for me. But the questions last week were, what are your heavy worker placement games that you go to? And what is something that you spent a lot, a lot of hard work on and you you're seeing the rewards or you know what turned out of what came out of all that hard work so here's here's what ben wrote to me um he he just started out by saying that he liked that format of the game question and the life question and (laughs) says now i need a catchy segment name for the new format yeah yeah i'm working on that anyway as for the questions themselves he said one i've got nothing again as I haven't gotten much heavier than Lords of Waterdeep or Agricola in worker placements. And uh, Lords of Waterdeep isn't necessarily super heavy, but it's pretty involved. Uh, it's a great, great worker placement game. I, I really enjoy that one as well. Agricola is fairly hefty, so I'll, I'll give that one to you, Ben. You can, you can count Agricola in the heavy worker placement game answer there and uh, we'll, we'll just we'll score one for Ben. Two he said I'm about to see the result of years of design playtesting and pitching when my game Red Scare comes out at Gen Con this year. That's so awesome dude. 
it'll all be worth it as I'll be able to call myself a game designer and actually have a game available in the hobby stores. So, so awesome. I, I have loosely followed the story of this game being developed and designed, so I'm super happy to hear that it's coming out and that it'll be out at Gen Con. And spoiler alert, I might actually see you at Gen Con. What? Okay, anyway, let's go on and move on. Uh, he wraps up by saying that, gotta say, I think your last episode was one of your best. I don't know what exactly it was, but things really seem to be humming along. And that is so awesome. I really appreciate that. I feel like I'm really hitting some good groove with this show and really appreciate folks writing in and noting that. So thanks, Ben. I will definitely see you at Origins just next week. Oh my gosh, it's coming so soon. I can't wait. So Paul also wrote in, and that's Paul Imboden. I think I'm saying that right. Sorry, Paul. I know we've talked about this before, but he is at Split Second Games on Twitter. He always likes to tweet at me and answer the questions. So I appreciate that, Paul. His answer was one, Trickerion for the worker placement game, which is one that I haven't had a chance to play. So I am definitely putting that on the list. And two, he said PMP certification and very much worth it as his answer to something that he put a lot of work in and the result of it and so forth. And I said, what, 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 what's, what's PMP certification? And he wrote back and said his project management professional job certification. Uh, it's not a simple certification to do. I guess it took three years of hard work and real world experience with a four hour test at the end, but he also said it was worth it. So awesome. Good work on that, Paul. That's, that's beyond me, man. That's really, really, it sounds like a lot of hard work, but I'm glad that it paid off and I'm glad that you passed a four hour test. Ouch. All right. Well, hey, I'm going to wrap this one up. Please, please, please. I always ask this. If you enjoy what you hear, tell your friends about it. Share the links on all your social media, Facebook, Twitter. Give us shout outs on Instagram and so forth. And also, if you have the have it within your heart to subscribe on iTunes Give us a rating, write a little review while you're at it. Man, those things go so, so far in helping us be found by other folks who are looking for podcasts such as this to listen to. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, I would so greatly appreciate it. I would also love it if you answered the questions that I asked today by writing at theologyofgames at gmail.com or tweeting at theologyofgames. And those questions were, what are your favorite legacy games? And what does commitment require? Super heavy games, super fun stuff. I got to get out of here because this episode has gone on super duper long. I want to thank you for all for listening. I'm Jeremiah Isley, and that's how I roll. Thanks for rolling with us today. That's How I Roll is produced by Jeremiah Isley and brought to you by Theology of Games. If you liked what you heard today, take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in and drive safe. <laughs>